Hey, you're listening to Tech Talks with Lou and I'm Lou Temlett. I hope you're having a good day and I'm really thankful for you being here. So this is Tech Talks with Lou, the show in which I discuss the top tech secrets for success from the best in today's digital world. Last time, I spoke with Len Pannett, non-exec director, author and speaker with a 20-year specialism in the innovation of 3D printing to overcome problems in the supply chain. If you haven't already listened, head back after this episode and let me know what you think. My guest today is a composer, a pianist, and also a creative coder. They earned an MPhil at University of Cambridge's Centre for Music and Science, where they developed Sing Smash, a game you play by singing. That landed them a job helping to develop audio recognition app Shazam. I'd like to welcome Lark Hall, the performance alias of Charlie Williams, to my podcast. Hi, Charlie. How are you? Hello. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I guess we should start by exploring the Lark Hall and the alias of Charlie Williams initially. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> so tell me, um, where did the name Lark Hall come from and um, why an alias? Yeah, and why, why, yeah, why not just me? Well, I, I mean, the, the need for an alias came first because uh, there are just too many of me. Uh, there's so many people named Charlie Williams. Uh, I knew it was never a Google battle that I could win. Um, <laughs> There's a British novelist named Charlie Williams. There's a Korean pool player named Charlie Williams. Uh, there's a Georgia in the States, the like tracks, high school track star. Uh, and so I needed to release music under something else. Uh, and and thinking about it, um, the I live in the Lark Hall neighborhood of Bath. And um, after kind of casting around and making big lists of things that that I thought I might be called, I thought, oh, well, that's, that's good. And if Portishead can do it, I can do it. So <laughs> I nicked I nicked the name of where I live as Yay, I, I was wondering because I've been living in Bath for a while now and I was not sure whether it was connected with where you might be living. Um because there are a number of lark calls around the UK. So it, it could is, really I, have come from Yeah, anywhere. I I I get tagged into things occasionally by uh by Scotland's Lark Hall. Um you know, it'll be a, a rugby thing or something and they'll at Lark Hall. And it's, it's pretty clearly not meant for me, but I, I, I take it. I take all the interaction I can get. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, Lark Hall's much further up the Google search results than Charlie Williams for your mm. work. <laughs> That's <It> is, fabulous. <laughs> so um, you developed or were part, playing part in developing the audio recognition app Shazam. Now, that sounds really exciting to mm. anyone of my listeners maybe you've used shazam to um get song recognition and uh because you can't quite put your finger on the name of the track or the artist so tell me a bit more about um where that kind of played a, a part in your current work and what might have come before that i'll leave it to you to yeah, kind of yeah. navigate this section Sure, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, working for Shazam was great. It's one of the kind of few apps that really solves a clear problem. Uh, and and there's some kind of funny history because Shazam, the company existed before smartphones. And so so some people sort of vaguely remember this, that there used to be a like a premium number that you could call and it would text you, your pager uh, with the name of the song. And so you'd be in the bar, you'd be sort of holding up the payphone. And so Shazam, <laughs> the technology, you know, that algorithm that, that can sort of listen to a tiny snippet of a song and say, right, I've looked it up. Here's what it is. Um, that was like a little bit before its time. And so Shazam really 
uh, took a little, you know, it was when the, the smartphone came and you could actually just get the thing in your hand. It would just tell yeah. you what song it was that it really took off. And, um, and it was amazing to see the company be acquired by Apple and all of that. Obviously that was, you know, a great, that was after I'd left. Um, but, um, but was still, you know, very much in touch with the team there. Um, yeah. but, um, yeah, Shazam was my first professional software development job. What, uh, I, a, la what a land, you know. It was, first... it was, yeah, yeah. I was, That's I was very happy to get it. Um, and I mean, a lot of people, you know, because I'm, I'm a software developer, I do software development work uh, still. Uh, and you know, so people will ask, sort of, oh, you know, I want to get into coding. How could I do this? And really, that so Sing Smash was the thing that got me that job. I had made this app that was not just me following some tutorials. It wasn't just a kind of you know bare minimum thing. It was an actual fun game. It had a unique aspect to it, was which was that you controlled it by singing. There weren't any touch controls. Um, and, and so that was part of my master's degree. But the whole time I was doing my master's degree, I knew that I wanted to use that kind of as a, a pivot, again, as they, as they say in startup yep. land, a pivot into not being a freelance musician for my entire income, because that yep. is just not a great economic model. <laughs> I was For me anyway, I was finding. Yep. Uh, and, and I thought, you know, I could do... You know, instead of playing weddings and stuff, um, which doesn't really have anything to do with the creative side of what I'm doing, um, yeah. and not to knock that. I mean, that's that. You know, if that's what you want to do, it, it can be a great way to make a living. But if you kind of don't really want to be playing weddings, you're not really doing anyone a service by, <laughs> by you know, by, by by doing that. So I really wanted to kind of move away from that. Just have my creative practice be the thing that I focused on musically I, and then you know earn a living as a software developer um, i think it's really interesting because uh, myself as an entrepreneur i'm running out of hours so my mindset's now very much more shifting to how i can grow and this particular product that you developed or the app feels like your first step into producing something bigger than the number of hours you have in a day and i think that's mm. really quite pivotal to um you know, small business growth um, and one that should, you know, kind of be honoured in a way that becomes a, a complete and utter mind shift from working every single hour on, you know, jobs you love or jobs you might not love quite so much. Um, yeah, so how, sure. So how did you, um, what was the decision maker for actually doing that? Was it just purely on the back of the master's development? I think that it had been, I think it had been building for a long time with me. I, you know, I, I grew up in the States, as you can hear from my accent. Um, and, you know, I, I came to the UK and didn't really appreciate until I got here how how much of a network you develop over time growing up in a place. So I was here, I suddenly didn't know anybody, you know, I was meeting people, but you know, you meet 10 people, you still don't have this sort of historical network where there's someone that you talk to at a party 15 years ago who you say, Oh, I could, you know, I don't really, I'm not in touch yeah. with them, but I could email them for something. Um, yeah. And, and so that made it a slow start in terms of building a freelance music career so i think that made it it made definitely made it harder for me mm. but in a way that ultimately got me thinking about like do i really want to be doing this do i want to take 10 years and build up my yeah. creative like my music freelance career or like is this a good time to just do something else and yeah. and this this all um 
the, the, when you do something creative or entrepreneurial or anything where you're really, you have the thing and you're trying to put this thing out into the world, you have to quit so many different aspects of it uh, yeah. in order to actually refine down where you want it to go and what you want it to be. Yeah. Um, and like, so that, that was part of this process, I think of, of, you know, I, Sometimes it's really hard to make it make sense from the outside. Like, I think I really needed to leave Chicago, not because Chicago is bad, but just for me, like, yeah. I think that was something I had to let go of in order to just like slightly become a different person. Uh, and I think, yeah, not teaching piano. I love teaching piano, but I think I, you know, I had to let go of that in order to really focus that part of my brain on writing the best music I can write. Yeah. And, you know, and so on and so on. And then, you know, I eventually mm. I had to let go of being a full time tech industry employee in order to come back to doing my creative practice. Yeah. And so there's just this constant shedding of, you know, identification and then shedding of superfluous aspects of the self. I really sound yeah. like a Jungian here, but, but <laughs> no, you I know, that, that's it. really, it's ongoing. There's, there's lots of, um, you know, I'm resonating lots with what you're saying because uh, in my role, you know, doing all the tech and the creative, um, it's really hard to let go and allow that passion of, you know, training and delivery um, take precedence because there mm. are so many, you know, it, it's about networking and building that support network so that you can do all of those things uh, and almost in a creative environment. Um, now, we spoke uh, when we before this podcast about um, you know working in creative industries and collaborating, um, as well as in the kind of tech and coding world. Um, I'd like to hear a bit more about um, your perception and how you found that working collaboratively. Yeah, I mean, I, I one of the one of the joys of adulthood in terms of like my personal growth has been really understanding how teams work and how how much more you can get done when you're working with someone else. And, and I think kind of developing a respect for other people's expertise that as a teenager and as like an early twenties person, I just didn't have, um, yeah. I, you know, I can pick up the basics of something quite quickly. And I think when I was younger, I just kind of thought, Oh, I can kind of just do everything. I'll just do everything. I won't, I'm not going to work with it, you know? Uh, and, and you know, that's, <laughs> That's not true. Um, I think you some can of us be... still hold that into our thirties and forties. Yeah, we well, can just and, do everything. Yeah, and and there are so many times where, like, I could spend a week trying to figure out how to get someone to run social media ads or some horrible thing that I really don't want to do, or I could just kind of do a mediocre job at it. And in the yeah. short term, it's much faster for me to do a mediocre job at it. And sometimes that's the thing. You can't always, you know, you can't get someone on your team for every single aspect of a thing. And and when you're the person who's birthing the thing, like you do end up picking up so many different little tiny things that maybe only need to be done in like a kind of okay way. Just because it's just, you know, it just needs to be done and you can move on yeah. to the next thing. But really, there are things that need to be done in a world-class way. And that's where you really have to be, I think, humble about your own uh, like skills and past experience and like ability to take on a new thing and, and decide, yeah. you know, like, when do I need to say, like, I don't care if it takes me a month of full-time work, I need to find the right person to do this other yeah. thing so that 
not just so that we, it can be done, but so that the, the entire project can be elevated by that, right? And that it can go, yeah. it can become a better thing because of that person's involvement. So that's the thing that I'm very yeah. much thinking about now because one of my main goals for this year, obviously, is well for this album that I'm putting out to be a success and the tour and all of that. But the other main goal is to add someone to my team because everything I'm doing right now is just me. And so it's really top of mind saying like, oh yeah, it's not... And it it comes, it feels a lot like dating often where it's like, you're like, I just, I just want someone to like, but then it's like, well, no, I don't actually just want like any rando. Like I, you know, you actually, it really needs to be the right person. Yeah. Um, but when you don't have someone, it really just mm. feels like, oh God, just anybody, come on. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's, it's how you manage those relationships and your expectations. You know, I'm dealing with a lot of things around expectations right yeah, now. Yeah, Because, yeah. you know, maybe like you, you know, it's ha- kind of having high expectations to production quality or to mm-hmm. artwork, whatever it is. And you just put your whole heart and passion into producing something that you think is kind of close to perfect and actually it's you know that kind of mediocre level but how much bigger and greater the creative and technical world is if we work together as a team and if there's something you know that there's another level of platform that in my mind now that I'm structuring around yeah. my business uh, which is an interesting little thought. yeah that's uh, that's exciting it's exciting <laughs> and yeah and there's there's so much like if you need to hire a really well-defined role. There's often a a well-defined path for that. It can just be really hard to find people who are both good and have capacity, right? Because there's, you can find the famous people who are all booked up and won't, don't have time to work with you. (laughs) And then you can find people who are just starting out and don't really know what they're doing. But that like (laughs) middle bit, you know, and then also identifying like, are they the right person to work with you? It can be really a real challenge. Well, well, we'll park that one for now because I think sure, we could have sure. a massive discussion can, around, yeah, you know, uh, hiring and, you know, I all credit to anyone that's hiring individuals for their businesses. And if you've got any tips, please do let us know. Um, and any connections, uh, you know, I, I'm definitely out for, you know, listening to what's going on right now. Um, mm. But when it comes to working with other people, we spoke a little bit about value and mm. um, transactions in terms of uh, sharing creative ideas. Yeah, I remember this. I think this came out of us talking about the the sort of the open source movement and community and yes. and and seeing that you know on the software side and then also on the musical side there's this rework culture which i find really inspiring and, and amazing uh where it's it i see them as real kind of kinship things you you may want to explain a little bit about sort of the background of of what they are but um a lot of what i've done in terms of my visuals I've taken techniques that have been used, you know, made by these amazing other artists and they've shared them uh, usually Mm -hmm. in a, in a tutorial or in a sort of demo video. And they say, here's a technique for making a maze, or here's a technique for making something that kind of looks like tentacles or, or, you know, any sort of thing like that. And, and then I will take that basic technique and build a whole video out of it. um, And often add in, you know, other techniques from other things. And, um, and the, the thing, the comparison that I, I, think of with this is when painting was a new 
art. Uh, painters would sometimes have their own sort of secret formulas for like the color blue, and they would they would know how to mix these chemicals to get like their new shade of blue, and no one else had that shade of blue, and so they would make some paintings with that. And that's kind of one way to approach it. And the other way is to just be like, hey guys, I, I could made this new form of blue, like let's all see what we can do with it. Uh, and and it's really great that there's this culture of sharing in in the the software world um of course that's not everywhere in the software world and i think yeah. some of that comes down to this um like we were saying some of it comes down to how much money you can make off a thing and because there's really such a small amount of money you can make with uh digital art um it's easier i think to make the decision to share things not to sound too cynical about it so in the open source community i think one of the reasons why like generative digital artists can be so generous with these algorithms is because they're not really used to create monetary value, right? That's it's like unless you're yeah. doing NFTs, there's not really a way to make money off of uh, digital art. Um, y- you can get commissions, and people do that. Um, you can do NFTs, which I'm not really super into, um, and is a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah, um, and a lot of people do really well though off of a kind of Patreon type model and with rework culture musically. There's um, there's a similar thing where musicians just kind of trade, you know, okay, I'll, I'll remix your song. You can maybe remix my song or we'll just both shout about it on social media and it gives us something to kind of to do, you know, to, to, to um, yeah, it's just adding more stuff to the world, like more, more kind of creativity. Uh, it's an opportunity yeah. to to have this conversation. You're listening to Tech Talks with Lou, and I'm Lou Temlett. And today I'm talking with Lark Hall, composer, pianist, and creative coder. So, um, Lark Hall, uh, alias of Charlie, um, your work is musical. You're a composer, and you apply logic of um, visual art to complement your audio pieces of work yeah it's a bit complicated isn't it (laughs) (laughs) well it kind of makes sense to me um in a in a kind of coding creative way so I as a coder in my early days I always wanted to and an artist as well I wanted to just use logic and code to create visuals so for me it's having control over a visual thing that's not visual in that mm-hmm. way. So yeah. I was really intrigued when I started to listen and see your work of the the kind of uh, the integration between both of them, that actually without one, you could still perceive a feeling and an emotion from your composition, um, you know, kind of equally, but together, you know, there's huge impact. Yeah, so where, yeah. where did the the kind of connection and bringing, it, it feels quite obvious because you're a creative and composer and um, a coder, but what made you bring those two together? I've, for ages, I've been really interested in kind of smashing art forms together, you know, taking sound and making it control visuals or taking a visual thing and trying to sonify it or just like any kind of like boundary breaking thing. Like you can probably find me there like pushing against the walls. Uh, <laughs> and and so I've, I've been doing things with this for just ages. Um, yeah. When I, uh, it was when I, so when I was in university, I saw that some pieces written for a Yamaha Disclavier, which is this sort of like high-tech player piano where you can connect a computer to it and 
it can play itself or it can also tell what you're playing. So you could play a note and then so composers would write a piece where you play a note and then it would like repeat the note, but like up or down or or it would remember phrases and play them maybe backwards or upside down or, or whatever. Yeah. And um, and there were a couple of really great pieces made with that. So it kind of was just in the back of my mind as like, this is a thing that's possible. Yeah. When I finally had uh, enough money saved up to buy my own piano, uh, I was I was at an auction and one of the pianos at auction was one of those disc clavier. So it's it's a standard acoustic piano kind of with this extra stuff on it. So you can ignore that function. You can just play it as a normal acoustic piano, but then it also has this extra feature. And it being an auction, like it didn't actually cost me anything to get that one versus they had two other pianos that were the same piano, but without that. And they basically all sold for the same amount. Uh, wow. The And I think it had been in a hotel because uh, this is the very... Unfortunately, the probably most common use of these pianos is for a hotel to put it in the lobby so they don't have to pay someone to play the piano, right? They can oh, just yep. have a disc of like light jazz and it plays in the background. And once they've bought the piano, they don't have to you know, have any yep. other costs. <laughs> so um, there's, there's something creative being functional in a way that has no human interaction. Boo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and this, this is so Yamaha, the company, really want this to be seen as like a a cool like tech way of being creative uh and yamaha if you're listening call me we can make something happen together uh, <laughs> but um but but I, th- I think that's sort of what they're unfortunately what they're often used as is, and seen as um so yeah. so i had this piano and i'd written the music for the sea was never blue my previous album uh for the came out in 2019 and that was recorded completely at home on this piano and so i i recorded it knowing that I wanted to do something with this ability to to capture all the all the data right so I had microphones set up but I also recorded all the key presses all the sort of you know the exact what you know what I was playing um and um and again for people who are maybe not like like familiar with the music technology aspect of it recording the sound like it, all the notes are kind of mixed together it's kind of like baking a cake you can yeah. you can eat the cake but you can't really go back and say like how many eggs were in this cake yeah right or like or like oh let's take one egg out <laughs> what, what I do want to know is what what okay this is a techie of me what did that data feed look like what does the data feed look like out of that device sure so it comes off the piano just as as midi uh, yeah. which is just like a, you know, this note went down at this time with this velocity, like this loudness, essentially. Yeah. Uh, so you've got that for every key on the piano, and then you've got the pedals. So all three pedals get recorded for how, yeah. f- and it's not just is the pedal up or down, but again, as a kind of like a hardcore pianist, you know, there's a lot of uh, gradations in, you know, is the pedal and I'm never thinking about it. I'm never thinking, oh, I'll put the pedal two thirds of the way down here. But it's just <laughs> it just becomes automatic. Yeah. But there's there's this this constant adjustment of like the exact height nice. of the pedal that really is is compositional. And, and you're kind of managing the resonance of the whole instrument. And this is also part of why performing on a keyboard is just so inadequate, because yeah. you can do things to kind of try to imitate that. But you still don't actually have like a box of metal and wood that's all like vibrating the air (laughs) so it feels like you know someone with a paintbrush and a a color being able to blend that color as opposed to someone with a felt tip pen 
it feels that yeah yeah diverse. I often I often say paint by numbers for a for a keyboard that it's it feels like yeah. it's the same picture but done in one of those kind of you know each thing is just sort of outlined with one color in it versus yeah being able to really blend and shade and and get all yeah. the complexity so yeah anyway so 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 the you know I'd recorded this and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it I just had this album of music and I had this data and I started playing around with what can I do with this and started to make visual representations of it. And, and at first they were really simple and I was just seeing like, how can you take this and make it kind of make it happen over time in a way that makes sense for the music. Yeah. Um, and so there were a lot of sketches and a lot of playing around. And I, I started, I was using at the beginning, I was using a piece of software called processing, which is a sort of coding for artists thing where it's it's based on java but you don't it, they kind of make everything easy so you don't have to have like three pages of boilerplate code before you can put a circle on the screen you can just be like yeah. circle and then it makes a circle um and that was amazing it's a great sketch tool that i still use but at a certain point it became too slow for the things that i wanted to do so I developed a thing in Open Frameworks, which is a C++ framework, uh, which has some good elements, but kind of made me hate everything because it's C++. <laughs> and everything just got slower and slower and slower yeah. as I continued to build a, you know, a bigger set and put things together. Yeah. And, and there's just, there's like, it, it became clear that I was building, I was either going to have to hack everything forever or build an entire... <laughs> live performance piece of software to manage everything. And then I saw yeah. some performances using Touch Designer, which is a live performance based software. It's a piece of software made specifically for live visual performance. And I thought, oh, this is great. They've solved all of the problems that I have. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and and so I've rebuilt everything in that. And that's what I perform with today. Wow. It, it feels when we're trying to be technical and creative that scalability just doesn't happen. You get to the point of maximum capacity, you know, whether it's um, the 13,000 rows. Sorry, it's really sad that I know that 13,000 rows in Excel or whether it's, you know, a maximum width of a web page. So back in my early days of developing web pages in the kind of mid 90s, I think I tried to try to do something different and create width ways content rather than up and down. Um, oh, obviously yeah, that, didn't, yeah. that didn't really fly and, and was really difficult to navigate. But, you know, code breaks when you try and make it too big, um, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. kind of integer problems and all sorts of other things. Yeah. Yeah. There's There's so many things with like when you try to be creative, you start to see the effects of hardware decisions and software decisions where they're assuming that you're going to use it a certain way. And then you try yeah. to use it a different way. There's a little thing I was doing one of my videos I've, I've actually, I'm just finishing, uh, and it uses reaction diffusion, which is this algorithm that makes really cool organic shapes. Um, and they can evolve over time. And, um, and it's all over the algorithmic art world um but it, it tends to kind of go along the grid the lines tend to they are a little bit more likely to go perfectly horizontally or perfectly vertically and so if you if you aren't paying attention it just sort of looks like oh it's this cool thing and then you see once you notice it you're like 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's and for this particular project, it actually kind of has a circuit board look and I really like it. But if you actually want it to look fully organic, you have to do yeah. some tricks with rotating it where you so this is all down to rounding, right? That there is yeah. that some kind of bias in the floating point rounding. I don't even totally understand it, but it makes things slightly more likely to be exactly a perfectly vertical or horizontal. And so what you can do is you can rotate the entire thing by some random amount, do your calculations and then rotate it back and you do yeah. it a different random amount every frame and then you get this beautifully organic thing that doesn't have yeah. that bias in it but you have to add this extra step right and so that yeah. kind of requires understanding at least that like i obviously don't understand everything about that it, like floating point rounding thing but i understand enough about it to be like oh yes yeah i see why that's happening and i know how to fix it i don't <laughs> like i don't know exactly what's going wrong in the math but i know kind of yes yeah i feel like that's where element. i thrive like as a, a bit of domain knowledge but not expertise <laughs> yeah, that's great it, it sounds like you know systems and technology really keep us within the constraints and i love the diversity of the creativity and the the music you produce the control of technology and your mindset of breaking through with creativity and trying to break down the structure mm. and form of creativity and coding I think that's, you know, a, a wonderful kind of marriage of of concepts and the output is just incredible. So oh, thank you. Um, where where can people go and have a look at your uh, streams, content, uh, listen to your album? The best place to get music if you want to buy music and support an artist is Bandcamp. So bandcamp.larkhall, sorry, larkhall.bandcamp.com. Subdomain, sub not the other way around. <laughs> yeah, larkhall.bandcamp.com is... Uh, all my music is there. You can pre-order my new album, which is called Say You're With Me. Uh, and that comes out on the 24th. If you're more of a streaming sort, I'm on Apple Music and Spotify and like 9,000 other streaming services. If you get music somewhere, I will be there. Um, there are shows around the country uh, coming up. And I saw uh, that you're on tour. How exciting. It's very exciting. It's very lots of things. There's so many things to do when a tour is imminent. Uh, one of those things being tell everyone that there's a tour so they can come to it. <laughs> yeah, um, the marketing bit. That's what you need someone for the, yes. the marketing side. Yeah, so yeah. You can focus on your core thing. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm I'm so excited because I'm I so I've been awarded an Arts Council project grant, uh, which is partially to do some creative coding workshops, which I'm very excited ah. to do, and partially to support this tour because tours are not generally money makers at this stage. They're generally yeah. uh something you spend money on in order to make it so that anyone has heard about you or seen your show yeah. or anything. Yeah. Um and and so because of that, I actually have just found a tour producer who who's gonna be ah. helping just do some of that stuff so that I can, yeah, focus on um, the performance, which is which is actually the center of my job. But sometimes I spend so much time just thinking about all the other things. It's you know, so to be able to focus is a real gift. So, how do you take your compositions on tour? What does it look and feel like in a physical space? Sure. So, on stage, you have me at a piano, and then you have this rendering box computer and that's a choice that i have made so i started out kind of wanting to hide all the technology and so i was just playing these things were magically happening and 
I've decided to put the technology on stage for a few reasons. One, I mean, there's a design philosophy called honesty of materials, where if you make something out of, you know, leather, it should look like leather. And if it's plastic, it should look like plastic. And, and you just, you know, like show people what they're getting. And, and so that's part of what influenced my decision. But another thing is just that people have such different experiences with the piece when they see it for the first time. And it doesn't necessarily have to do with how technical someone is or how musical someone is or anything like that. Um, yeah. I had, I play in a band with a, a guy who came to my show and, and there were, you know, he had a really great time, but he kind of didn't put together that the visuals were live. He kind of thought I was just playing to like a video and that I was following the video and was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I play like I play faster or slower. I do, you know, I, I play in the moment the way that the yeah. music needs to happen in that space, which is such a fundamental part of live yes. performance. And that's really critical to being able to do this at all is that the visuals happen live in response to what I'm doing. Yeah. And so having the machine on stage helps with that. And I'm I'm thinking too about how I kind of how I refer like does the machine have a name? Do I, you know, do I kind of is is Lock, it like Lock a thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um Hal or something. So uh <laughs> that works. <laughs> so so there there's yeah, so so there's that. And then there's, you know, and and because venues sort of say, oh, you know, what are your technical requirements? And it's like a projector as bright yeah. as possible and a screen as big as possible. And so yeah. hopefully when you come to a show, there's, you know, just massive, massive screen. Um it you know, it works sometimes with a just a normal size screen. But um Yeah. But that's the idea, is that is that the visuals are this sort of really immersive thing. Uh and, you know, and that I'm there playing like a real acoustic piano that is magically slash technically creating visuals. Live. Yeah. So when are you rocking up at a planetarium near you? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's I mean, so I have done shows in like a full dome uh, mm. projection space. And that's amazing. That takes a lot of adaptation because a rectangle is very different to a sphere it turns out (laughs) (laughs) so 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 one of the things that i i would like to do at some point is to sort of get a week get funding to just spend a week in like a full dome and and really make a full dome show um but these are all these are all rectangular so far um but it's it's immediately after the tour i'm up in york leeds manchester ludlow tunbridge wells oxford and then up at the Edinburgh Fringe in August. So if you're in or near any of those places, um, the tickets, probably the best place to look for tickets is larkhall.org is my website. So front page of my website is a list of shows. Uh, and you can see which one's the closest and get tickets. Getting tickets in advance is so helpful for musicians at my level, probably at any level. But yeah. uh, if, I, if I have a show and I see that I've sold seven tickets, it's, it's disheartening. And sometimes it means the show will be canceled. There's actually a show, mm-hmm. a friend of mine was going to play a, an opening slot in, I think, Cardiff. And they'd sold very few tickets. And so they canceled it. And everyone in oh. Cardiff was like, we were going to come. And they was like, well, but... <laughs> Buy the tickets. Yeah. Yeah. So... Oh. so Obviously, th- this is difficult with COVID and with everything. You know, people are sort of reluctant to uh, to to make 
advanced plans, understandably. Mm. But um, just wanted to throw that out there. It is so encouraging when I check and I see, because um, that's just, that's my lifeblood for this tour, right? Is like, yeah. if a show is sold really well in advance, you just go into it knowing like, this yeah. is going to be okay. This is going to be a good night. It's going to be people there. Yeah. I don't have to worry about that. I can worry about, you know, is yeah. the computer going to work? Or yeah, whatever. <laughs> it, it does feel much more like an emotional connection, and it's really heartwarming to hear that you know if have us buying tickets for your show makes a real impact. Do you think then that you play any different? It, it, does your immediate energy in that space vary? How does? How does that work, being a composer and a musician? I don't play any musical instruments and I don't do anything live. So, yeah, I'm just from a human aspect as opposed to a, you know. Yeah, it's it's such a complex thing going into a a show. You know, when you're going to a live performance, uh, you you know, walking out on stage and you never really know uh, until the show is until the show is done really how it you know how the whole thing went um there's a a great story about um the um keith jarrett's concert in colm that um which i'm probably saying wrong but that uh it's it's you know one of the most famous if not the most famous live recording ever and it happened because that piano was terrible uh, the the venue somehow they had this amazing piano and it was being serviced or something and he couldn't play oh, it man. and the show was almost canceled and the show promoter got this thing this sort of rubbish piano in at the last minute and he you know was sort of really frustrated and sound check because none of it was working and it pushed him out of out of his comfort zone and he played this amazing concert that he never would have wow. played if it had just been going and play you know play playing a, a, a lovely Steinway that was everything he, he ever wanted and you know I mean Keith Jarrett kind of just only plays amazing concerts so it's not like yeah. <laughs> his standard would have not been a good one but that particular one is him really exploring a new thing yeah so, I was having goosebumps in that moment just visualizing you know someone being taken out of their comfort zone but still producing exceptional work, um, you know, whether that's their standard or not, the opportunity and and the kind of the challenge in, in that performance space, because you never know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think that sort of letting go of an expectation that your show has to do a certain thing is, mm. is really key to that. And I think as a younger, especially classical musician, um, I think you, you know, I really had a thing of like, it's, you know, it's going to be like this and I'm going to come out and play like this. And (laughs) if anything upsets that, then suddenly everything's off kilter versus if you just say, well, something's going to happen. Let's, let's see what it is. And I remember really feeling, so I I had a show in Exeter uh, a few months ago and it, it was, it was a great venue, but it was a sort of a Monday night. There weren't very many people there and and you kind of get, you know, I, I had a sense of it. But I, I just walked out and said, well, let, let's just see what happens. And it was it was a really fun show. I thought I thought I played well. Um, people seem to really like it, uh, you know, and it was so it was there's something about being a professional musician that isn't necessarily about like how fancy you can play. But it's about yeah. like, how can you take something like that and not be like, oh, this is a small show. I'm not I'm going to just zone out and instead say, all right, yeah. like these people who like whatever this handful of people is like, they want to see the best show that I can give them and really giving them the best show and doing the yeah. same thing when it's 300 people and they, it's sold out mm-hmm. and everyone's, you know, like, you know, it's, it's no matter what it is, you bring you have a way of bringing your best self and and finding that and kind of discovering what the show is going to be because they're always different. Yeah. 
It, it sounds amazing. And I can imagine the visuals being different to, you know, however you're playing as well, that there's some human aspect that is kind of translated through a technical device to be more human again in that sense. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's that's a thing. I mean, the person who talks to me the most after shows is generally somebody who does some form of technology. It's someone who mm. says, oh, I do, you know, I'm a web developer, I'm a whatever. Uh, and 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 they are really curious about the technical side of it, but also the creative side of it and, and how those things work together. And so I really love those conversations that happen. Um, but I also, I am working because the show is always evolving i mean like any sort of yeah. software it's never done you never sort of say right okay that's it you know it yeah. publish it it's <laughs> you know this is, so there's always things that are that are changing slightly not just because it's it actually is different every time because i play different every time but i'm also mm. like if i have a couple weeks between shows i'll be in there saying oh i think this bit would work better if they built like this uh and i'm always thinking about how to make what's happening really legible to somebody yeah. who's seeing it and listening that they understand and not necessarily in a, I want to say declarative. I don't mean that in a software engineering sense, but just like, a, it's like sometimes I want you to see me like, I, okay, he's played a note and I saw that thing. And then he played that note and I saw that thing. And some, some of it is like that. And other times, yeah. I don't want it to be like, you know, I think if you have that for 60, 90 minutes, it it just gets yeah. very like someone's right in your face. And Predi so predict some, predictable as well. Yeah, yeah, Hopefully. yeah. And a little bit like, like the sort of reactive screensaver things. Like I, I aspire to a higher level of artistry. I mean, those were great, but I aspire to a different level of artistry than, oh than gosh, the Windows 95 me. screensaver. Um, oh, but at the you same time, like, like changing up the type of reactivity so that sometimes it's more like there's a film that's kind of about this piece that's happening yeah. and it's all in time, but it's not really like note 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 reactive and then sometimes it really is very specifically like i saw he played yeah. that note and then that thing happened so i can tell that that's happening <laughs> you know oh, um so yeah so it's it's thinking about what the audience journey is that's really cool i wasn't expecting our conversation to go quite in this direction <laughs> but it's really good you know just the um yeah the kind of com combination of human tech reactions and stuff i think you know mm. um so maybe you can just remind people where they can get tickets from for your forthcoming tour and where they can download and buy your music. Sure, yes. So tickets are at larkhall.org. That's going to be a list of upcoming shows. Uh, you can click through to any of the venues and get tickets there. Uh, you can get music from larkhall.bandcamp.com if you would like to purchase the music and uh, support me to the max as an artist uh, you can also stream it from any streaming service that's that at shows i will have cds um you can also if you're into cds you can get cds off bandcamp and i have actually just ordered a limited run of posters of the art that is projected so stills from oh, wow. the visuals uh in a limited run as posters which i will be selling at shows 
on tour. Fab. So we actually have to go to one of these shows to get hold of the merchandise and the art that's creative from uh, Larkle's work. So please do, get, please come along. Get yourself to a show. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. It sounds sounds amazing. So that's coming up, um, and then from there on. Uh, more more shows, more compositions. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch. Uh, there's a bunch more shows that are in the in the planning stages. That I'm, you know, I won't sort of say what they are because sometimes they don't happen. Uh, there's <laughs> some exciting yeah. shows are in the works. So keep an eye on the website for that. Larkhall.org. Uh, there's a mailing list you can sign up for, which is like a twice a year thing. Um, if you just kind of want to know when there's an album or something like that, uh, or yeah, I'm on all the socials as Lark Hall or Lark Hall music. Good. So find me there. Fabulous. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, Thank it's you been for incredible you. to chat and, um, I wish you every success in your tour and, uh, we'll be going out buying tickets and downloading your album. So thank Excellent. you Thanks so, so much. much. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have recording it. I look forward to have you listening in again for the next episode. And in the meantime, I'd love you to rate, review and download this episode. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>